you would take your Bibles and turn to Romans 1. We've been spending some time on Romans 1, and the reason is, is because our world is a mess. I could come up with no better way to capture that idea than to call it a death parade, and the reason is, is because everything is leading to the end. We have a culture that is obsessed with death, whether it be unborn children or whether it be the elderly. I don't know if anybody saw this in Wall Street Journal. Anybody here get the Wall Street Journal? All of you. That's great. (laughs) So it's good. But there's a reoccurrence. Now that Dr. Kevorkian has passed off the scene, there's now a reoccurrence stirring up again about the importance of the elderly to be respectful of everyone else and consider a comfortable assisted suicide method for the betterment of mankind. Because you're old, you're a drain on the system, why not just get out of the way and let the future lead the way? Sound odd to anybody? All the senior citizens raise their hands, right? Yeah. (laughs) Sounds bad. Exactly. Exactly. We have, a, we have a, a universal disregard for human life, a disrespect for the human body, and we have an authority problem. And that is everything that Paul is unboxing for us in Romans 1. And I know that we're moving rather slow through this. Please understand, it's not a snail's pace. It's because there's so much here that Paul is telling us that if we just flippantly read it in a daily devotion, there's no way that our hearts or minds would be captured by what Paul's trying to say here. But what he's looking to do under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is so provoke our minds to humility and to remove the blinders that Satan has carefully orchestrated in this world system. Remember, he is the God of this age. That's what Jesus called him. He is the prince of the power of the air. That's what Paul calls him. He has so carefully orchestrated the system that you and I live in that oftentimes we walk around blind of the truth and it's evidence before us, we wouldn't even know the difference. And so what Romans 1 is, is Romans 1 is a removal of the blinders. So let's read. Chapter 1, verse 16 is our memory verse for this month. This is the last day of the month. And so I'm going to ask you to read that in 17 out loud with me, because 17 is our memory verse for next month. So let's read through this together. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is not, sorry, is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because that which is known about God is evident within them for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. Excuse me. For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Every single person has an ingrown propensity to worship. Isn't that interesting? That we're not just called to worship something, but we also have this insatiable desire to sin. This is a profound paradox. And what we're finding is, is that if God, Yahweh, Elohim, Adonai, whatever you want to call him, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the God who is the great I am, 
If he is not the central focus of our propensity to worship, our desire to have to uphold and reverence something, then we will easily sin in that process, doing what we would naturally do, and substituting him with something else. The difficulty here is that this issues forward. The wrath of God is a response to sin. Is God loving? Absolutely. Is he gracious? Absolutely. In fact, overwhelmingly so. If we had the capacity to fully comprehend how gracious and loving he was, we would find sin extremely hard to entertain. But let's be honest. And I don't know your personal life. You do. You know what happens behind closed doors. Sometimes sin comes too easily. And we are either deeply provoked by that or maybe slightly astonished that we're not as convicted as we should be. That is a scary place to be. Because then we start thinking in terms of the realms of distance between us and God. Realize this. When we start to, and everybody see if you grab this, feel that God is distant. What does his word tell you? I will never what? I will never leave you or forsake you. Somebody who's six miles away, would you conclude that they've left you? Probably. Regardless if it was go to the store or because they're going to keep going, it doesn't matter. They left. God doesn't leave. In fact, what makes up one of the great foundational attributes that we all understand about God is that he's omnipresent. He's always here. No, it's not only when two or three are gathered in his name. <clears throat> you ever wondered about that? You ever thought about that? I got to get somebody else with me if God's going to show up. You ever done that? Yeah. I'm by myself. I don't think he's going to come here. Let me tell you this. God longs for you to be in his presence. His great desire. I mean, isn't that the whole reason why he gave his son? He gave his son for the purpose of reconciliation. The whole idea behind reconciliation is that our original place was to be with him. Do you realize you and I were created to worship? That's where that comes from. That desire to worship is the fingerprints of God screaming out from our being. Because we know that satisfaction is only found in something that is greater than us. The problem is, is we have morphed this, twisted this, watered this down, destroyed this to irreverent subjects so let's do this let's start in verse 20 touch upon what we dealt with last week so that we understand where we're going the main focus we're going to look at is 21 through 24 for since the creation of the world so we have a point in time in history his invisible attributes now watch this and i and i i don't know if i had motor flub of the mouth last week or what but i know i messed this up and But here's what it is. His invisible attributes, what are they? His eternal what? Power. Now, we went over this, correct? This is known as his what? Omnipotence. Right? He's all-powerful. So notice, one of the invisible things about God that we would not be able to see, God wants to unfold and display for you and I so that we can not just see, but we can mentally comprehend, think through, and apprehend it unto ourselves of, yes, obviously to establish the creation around us and for someone to set the sun and the moon in the heavens, obviously, obviously, they had to have more power than me. That is incredible power that not just puts the sun there, but suspends it. Would you agree? Yes? No? Anybody think they could do that? Okay, because I was going to say after this, we'll all go outside and take some cookies. We want to see it. No? Okay, that's good. But notice, it's not just his eternal power. It's his divine nature. It's his godness. The fact that he is deity. The fact that he is divine. The fact that he is perfect. He wants us to see these things. So notice, his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly seen. Being understood, notice that's a mental comprehension of the whole idea, 
through what has been made, that's the creation, so the creation is preaching and testifying to God's power and existence and perfection, but watch what happens here, so that they would be without excuse. No one will ever be able before Almighty God to make a claim, I just didn't know you were there. Impossible. It won't suffice. It's inexcusable. The word here actually means you have no defense, which means, here's the thing, if God makes it clearly seen and we have no defense, it means that every single person on the face of the earth is personally responsible. If you can comprehend the creation, if you can think critically about your surroundings, you're a guilty party. Does everybody see this? Yes? No? Who's asleep? Okay, so we'll make sure. Verse 21. For even though they knew God... Now stop. Paul just made a huge claim. Anybody ever watch Richard Dawkins' videos on YouTube? There's no God. Right? I can't do his pompous English accent, but there's no God. There's no one who loves you. It's all just mechanisms. We're all just machinery. We're all just results of material, and we're just running processes as time unfolds. We're just doing whatever comes naturally, and we can't speak against what comes naturally because it's just processes. That's all they say. Since there is no God, there's no personality. You have no choice. You can't get mad at the person who rapes another person. They're just living out the processes that nature has intended for them. Material is God. Anybody buy that? I would love to talk to you afterwards in my office if you do. I don't mean that threatening. But what makes a person like that tick? You know what I think it is? I think it's this first line we have here in verse 21. Although they knew God. Close your eyes. Trust me, I'm not going to throw anything. Doug, you can close your eyes. I'm not going to throw anything. It's okay. What's the last sin you committed? Think about it. Don't say it out loud. We don't need to know. What's the last sin you committed? Think about it. Now ask yourself this question. Did God see it? Now ask yourself this question. Was it worth it? Here's what this does. You can open your eyes now. I'm not sitting here saying, you need to be sinless. What I'm saying is, we need to be more God aware. We need to be more understanding the fact of, although they knew God, although everybody knows, whether they want to admit it or not, God is there. He sees it all. And your answer to that question in your heart and mind about whether or not that sin was worth it demonstrates either your workability, that's not a good word, your compatibility, your respect, your reverence, your fear level of the Almighty who created you, or your coldness to eternal matters of whether or not his word has any difference in your life. Do you see that? Now, that's why I don't want you to say it out loud because it's something that you can admit to yourself. But now you have to live with it in light of truth. This world is running frantic away from God. Why is that? Because they know he's there. Because they know he's there. Although they knew God, They did not honor him as God. Or what? Give thanks. If you have a pen, and we have no more pens available. So if you are one of the elect and you have a pen, that's a joke. That's what you want to mark. Where did humanity go wrong? What was the turning point for human existence? Well, the Garden of Eden. Yes, it was. But what happened there? We know about what took place. We understand, and please don't call it a story. We understand the historical account of what actually transpired in that moment because God has divinely preserved it in his inerrant word. Philosophically, what took place? 
What's that? Contempt, pride, turn their back on God, disobedience, but answer it from what Paul is telling you under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. They did not honor God. There came a moment when Satan says, did God really say? Well, you could be like God, but my concern is the questioning of his word. Anybody want to take Thomas Edison to task about the light bulb? That would seem silly, wouldn't it? Do you think that we know what we're talking about regarding a light bulb compared to Thomas Edison? Maybe art would get close. If you guys don't know all this lighting here, thank you, Art, right? But here's the deal. I'm sure that Art would even have something to learn from Thomas Edison. Would you agree? Why? Because he created this. He knows it inside and out. He figured it out. God created language, yes. Isn't Jesus Christ the living word? Yes. In the beginning was the word, and the word was God? Yes. He was with God, and he was God. Absolutely, he is God. And so Satan's going to come along and question whether or not the originator of language is speaking clearly. Does this seem concerning to you? Now, we have the same problem today. It's just better veiled. Satan learned from that first attempt, and he hides it easier. But notice, the first problem is, is if I can get you to not honor God. Anybody know what the word honor could also be translated as? Who has a different translation as something different? If you have an NASB and you have a marginal note, what does it say under honor? Glorify. Notice, that's what we're really talking about. When we're talking about the essence of worship, and our ingrained propensity to worship, what we're talking about is the knowledge that God is there, but the folding of our arms, the turning of our backs, and the refusal to glorify Him. The refusal to worship Him. Why do we do that? It's very simple. He is the Creator. We are the creation. We are the creatures. That line automatically necessitates that there is a hierarchy. There's someone in charge. There is an authority. And we either live our lives in honor of that authority, or we don't. Whether that be just how we position ourselves through our lifestyle, or whether it's moment-to-moment decisions. They are either made in honor of God or dishonor of God. God's either included or he is excluded. When Joshua was leading everybody into the promised land after Moses passed away, they said, don't make any treaties with anybody in the land. No one. And so some guys decided that they all wanted to have a drama skit or something like that. They all dressed up and they played poor and dirty and weird and all that stuff. We're from a foreign country. Please don't hurt us. And the scripture actually says they didn't consult God. They just said, yeah, where's it? where do we sign at? Yeah, this sounds like a good deal. Next thing you know, they had disobeyed the very thing that God told them not to do. Isn't that scary? Doesn't that seem odd? That somebody would want to come along and just dupe us into a decision that very easily, because it's advantageous for us. Well, you don't realize how much I'm going to benefit from this. Well, I'm going to come out looking really good in the end. We don't understand. This is going to help a lot of people that possibly need it. It doesn't matter if it dishonors God. My wife and I were having a real good discussion because we've really made it a point about don't ever lie to our child. There's nothing to gain out of it. And we were talking about what are the reasons why some people lie to their children? And don't we often say, to do what? To protect them. Every parent knows that. If you thought in your mind, well, to protect them. Raise your hand. I'm curious. Protect them from what? The truth? Hold it. What just happened there? We just made a dishonoring decision. Well, they're too young to know that. Well, maybe you don't have to phrase it in all of its brazen crassness maybe we can not lie about it but still communicate the truth because let me ask you the question what do you think the repercussions are going to be for a child who grows up into a teenager realizing that their parents had lied to them about something for a long time think it's going to work out well you think as they start forming their own worldview they're going to have a 
natural desire to trust you more if that's the case? No. Why? Let's be honest. Because it's dishonoring to the truth. And we all have a sense of there are things that are true and there are things that are not. We know God is there. And yet we make little choices. Good intentions. Good intentions are the greatest enemy of obedience. Good intentions, but we end up dishonoring, not glorifying God, not worshiping him. And understand this. If we are respectful of this as his truth and we are holding fast to it, that's worship. It's not where you have to have your nose pressed against the ground. That's good if you want to do that. I recommend that everybody do and humble themselves before the Lord. But the fact that we are saying, no, God's truth is the truth and there is no other truth, that's worship because it's putting him in his proper place as the pinnacle of all existence. Does everybody understand that? This is the first place where people have gone wrong. Now notice this next one. Not only did they not honor him, but they what? They didn't what? Give thanks. Isn't that one of the first thing we teach our kids? Please, thank you? Yes? You guys don't sound too confident. Young parents only. 30 and under. I don't even qualify for that. I have a three-year-old. That's terrible. (laughs) Don't you teach your kids thank you? Yes, why? Why? To have gratitude. To teach them respect of other people. Now here's the thing. Do you have to be a Christian for that to be a mainstay in your home? No, it's just a given, isn't it? Let me ask you a question. If all good things come from the Father of lights who does not change, wouldn't it seem that thank you would be something that would need to be said to him as well? Yes? In fact, here's an interesting thing. A little statistic if you want to write it down. 64 times in the New Testament... The words thanks, thanksgiving, or thankfulness are used. Okay? 64 times. 44 of those times, 69%, 44 of those times are used in Paul's letters alone. We all know that, right? Thanks be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Right? You can probably think right now about a few things that would come to your mind where Paul's always giving thanks. I make mention of you always in my prayers, giving thanks to God for you, for your testimony in the gospel over and over and over thankfulness. And why is thankfulness so important before God? Because it's really demonstrative of your attitude. Does everybody see that? Let me ask you a question because I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not under some like weird guys, like everybody's just hanging on my words, like dripping honey. Okay. I think this is important for you to understand. But my question would be, where you're sitting at right now, you came to church this morning. Anybody have a little bit of a struggle this morning? Whether it was just getting out of bed bed this morning, you realized that you were out of coffee? I don't know. Kids going crazy, right? You were out of coffee? Yeah. You're wondering what's wrong with the kids. Shorts are on, but the underwear's on their head. Shoes are on the wrong feet. You're like, what is going on here? Whatever it is, it's a struggle. Car's not wanting to work right. Maybe the husband's out there waiting for somebody else to show up so they can go. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever it is. See, that rings a little too true to home, all right? I'm really, really hurting people. But think about this. You took the time to come here this morning, yes? What was your attitude? What is your attitude right now? You don't have to tell me, but think about it. Knowing that you are gathered together with other believers in Jesus Christ, knowing that we've all needed salvation, we all still need the blood of Christ to cleanse us from ongoing sin. But we're all together to worship the King of Kings. We're all together to sing praises to His name. We're all here to come under the authority of His Word. But is thankfulness part of that? Maybe you're going through trials right now. Are you thankful for them? Well, no. They're trials. But what does the Bible say that God's trying to accomplish through trials? Consider it all joy, right? That's made us want to cut James straight out of our Bibles. Turn to James. Don't have it, preacher. Keep going. Because we think that's the most contradicting passage ever. Because it deals with our attitude in the midst of stress and strain. Are you thankful this morning? Are you thankful to God? You know what thankfulness is? It's part of worship. It's saying, God, I don't deserve to have what I have. Let me ask you this. If you were a 
fun person before you came to Christ, of which I very much was, are you thankful that you can look back on who you used to be and you see where you are now? And then you're overwhelmed with the fact that I had nothing to do with where I am now. And it's all his grace that got me here. That's fantastic. That is the ability of a caring, loving father who is able to embrace us lovingly, but firmly in his hand and move us to where we need to be. That's his grace. Does everybody see we got a lot of things to be thankful about? The overall attitude of the world is, I will not glorify you. I will not say thank you. You know what happens when my son persists in not saying thank you? I can imagine it will with us as well. With the Almighty. Because it's just the right thing to do. If you're someone who loves the Psalms, I thought this was interesting. 105 times in the Old Testament, the words thanks, thanksgiving, or thankfulness are used. But in the Psalms, 63 times, 60% of the Old Testament, the idea of thankfulness and giving thanks to God is found in the Psalms. And what are the Psalms? Songs of worship. Songs of calling out to God for rescue, deliverance, provision, and worshiping Him and desiring for Him, calling on Him to teach us and lead us in a new way. They're beautiful. And notice they're coded with thanksgiving. So now here's where it gets harsh. They do not honor God. And notice, they don't honor Him as God. He's something else. If you're here and you use the phrase, the man upstairs, stop. Okay? And I say that with all sincerity of love. I'm going to go ahead and chalk it up to immature ignorance. And I don't say that to to come against you in any harsh or mean way. I'm saying that if we consider him the man upstairs, we have lost the sight of who God actually is. And we need some help in seeing him for who he truly is. As glorious, as mighty, as awesome, as the master of all things. The one who speaks and storms stop. Boy, I would have loved that on Thursday. I have a story to tell all of you sometime, but I'm going to refrain right now. But I told Kevin the other day, I said, there's a sermon illustration here somewhere. I digress. Honoring God and thanking God. But look what it says. But, and here's the interesting thing. Anytime you see the word but in the scriptures, you're going this direction, but now we're looking a different way. Okay? It's a 180 degree turn in the text. Watch this. But they became futile. In their speculations. This word futile means empty. Substanceless. It's like you bringing in a bucket. Hey, what's in the bucket? Nothing. That's what's in the bucket. It's empty. It's futile. Or let's say it this way. There's no value. There's no worth. There's no meat to it. There's no weight. It's nothing. They became empty, futile in their speculations. Probably better rendered reasonings. In other words, because they refused to give God honor, glory, worship, and because they would not simply say thank you to the creator of all things, because they know he's there. Notice it's not a, I didn't know who to say thank you to. It's a, I know he's there and I will not worship or say thank you to him. They become empty in how they think. Everything that is formulated and put together now becomes a product of godlessness. Let me give you a prime example of this. I'm not here to harp on the issue, but the whole concept of evolution. You guys going to college. You guys who are in college. Evolution. They tell you started with all this energy balled up and something like the size of a period on a page and then randomly it just exploded and the universe is stretching outwards. Yes, you in the blue shirt. Where'd the dot come from? Well, the universe used to be expanding and it all pulled itself back in and it all came down into this little dot. I can't fit this in here. To think that that went into this 
the size of a period on a page? Really? Have you ever stopped and wondered just how stupid people think we are? But why is that? Let me tell you why. It makes complete sense to them. Why? Because God is not in their equation of how you're thinking. This is empty thoughts. This is, there's nothing here. And so, since I refuse to honor and worship God, and I'm actually going to turn my back to Him, I am doing the best that I can, sincerely, to survey all of existence and to come up with something that matters and that works and that is explaining of the phenomenon that we see of the fact that we are existing people. This is the best godlessness can do. When you remove him from the equation, you will come to a faulty end. How about the next part here? Notice, their foolish what? Their foolish hearts were darkened. Now, is this talking about the cardia that pumps in their chest? No, it's talking about the central seat of their will being an emotions. It's what we would normally call the soul, the life, how they think, how they process information that is given to them. That's what it comes down to. Their foolish heart, the heart was already foolish for not honoring him and worshiping and, and thanking him. Yes, would you agree? But notice, that wasn't it. Imagine that we're all sitting in here and all of a sudden Pete and Dwayne go down there and just throw down all the lights. That's what we're talking about. Does it make it more difficult to see? You going to do that? Do it for a second. Let's do this. Everybody think. Here's your heart. Imagine. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Is this better? Even Mitch turned off the screen. Are you sure that you can't see more clearly from this? Because this is the direction that people go when they are continuing in godlessness. And God said, let there be what? (laughs) love it love it man we have fun here praise god but imagine the foolishness that is already in a heart that refuses to acknowledge a god that they know is there just continues to be eclipsed because of persistent godlessness in fact do this real quick put a handout or whatever here and turn over to ephesians Because I want to show you another place where Paul writes about this, because he's encouraging the Ephesians. It's very interesting. Can believers persist in silly sin? Absolutely, they can. They will be paddled for it by their Heavenly Father. But Paul gives an exhortation not to think as pagans do. Ephesians chapter 4, look at verse 17. You probably have a heading above it that says something to the effect of the Christian's walk. Notice why this is important. I'm not going to read to you. Well, we can read the contrasting part here. But I want you to get this beginning section. Look what he's saying here. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer as the Gentiles also walk. Don't live your life like a pagan now that you're a believer. You have a new life to live. You've been given a new heart. You have a new spirit within you. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So notice what he's saying. You lived all your life in godlessness. No more. Your time of paganism is over. And if you have been born again and are alive in Jesus Christ, there's no reason for it. It's completely incompatible with who you are and you will find definite tension because you are not who you truly are and trying to live like the person that you used to be. Guys, when we come to faith in Christ, the old man is crucified dead, done, gone. And so for us to entertain those sinful patterns any longer is completely antithetical to everything that God wants to accomplish or has said about us being in his presence. Now watch this. Don't live like pagans. Walk no longer as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their what? Everybody see the word futility? Emptiness. The emptiness of their mind. Notice that all of it has to do with your thought process how you reason about life and how you make decisions. Watch this. And the futility of their mind being, what's the word? Darkened. Pete, do we need to do the lights again? No, we get it right, don't we? But get it, okay? Being darkened in their what? Understanding, their disposition. 
is the idea here. Their reasoning, their comprehensiveness, the way that they think critically. Excluded from the life of God. Notice that. There's the godlessness. That's how pagans live. Excluded from the life of God. And so their thinking is all messed up about reality. Because of the what? Oh, come on, church. Pay attention. Because of the what? Exactly. Now notice ignorance isn't so much demeaning. Stupid, that's more demeaning. But notice that ignorance is just kind of like, I'm just not getting this. Notice that's what it is. Ignorance. That is in them. What's that? So what you're saying is, is if I went out in the parking lot, I would see that sticker on your car, yes? (laughs) I love it. I love it. You're a sweet, sweet man. All right. So notice, because of the ignorance that is in them, and notice this, the ignorance that is in them. Where does sin originate? In the heart. And so this denial of God, refusal to honor him, refusal to thank him, notice it's a personal choice. There ain't anybody else to blame but us. Notice here, the ignorance that is in them because of, here it is, the hardness of what? Because my heart just wasn't receptive to the fact that God exists and I should glorify him and I should say thank you to him. What's that? It's just like Pharaoh. Verse 19, and they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. In fact, here's what you find. The person who doesn't honor God, glorify God, worship God, or want to say thank you to God, and instead becomes empty in their thinking, always, always, without a shadow of a doubt, it is proven throughout history, whether you want to talk about Alexander the Great, whether you want to talk about Nimrod, whether you want to talk about the Tower of Babel, whether you want to talk about Hitler, it does not matter. It always gives way to sexual deviancy. That's the only place that an godless, empty mind can go, is personal gratification and pleasure. It's all about the thrill of the moment. Being something in your own eyes and manipulating and abusing others. That's where it's at. Notice what he says at the end there. They've given themselves over to sensuality for the practice, ongoing, reoccurring, of every kind of impurity with greediness. You know, that's obsession and addiction. You want to talk about a verse about addiction in the Bible? There it is. It is the result of not truly believing what God has said about life and reality and coming to a conclusion that he is not worth worshiping or thinking or giving credit to. That's the idea. Turn back with me to Romans 1. Verse 22. I hope you guys see this. Professing to be wise. Stop. Who's professing? I think it's interesting that college college teachers are called professors. What did you say? Dumb people. Wow, that's a great answer. But aren't we talking about those who are no God is there and they are not glorifying him or thanking him? Yes. Notice it all stems from this problem. That is the turning point problem of humanity is a discrediting and wanting nothing to do with God who they know is there. Professing to be wise. Notice it's a self-proclamation. Anybody ever proclaim something about themselves and you found out later it wasn't true? That's called humility. (laughs) And when that was done, when you made that self-proclamation, and your downfall is called humility, what is your self-proclamation derived from? Pride. This is who I am. This is what you need to know about me. This is why you should listen to me. This is what I have done. And it all becomes a giant heaping monument of why I am significance, or why I have significance. See, that's the interesting thing. When you feel the necessity to prove yourself, and you're not concerned whatsoever about the fact that you've been created in the image and likeness of God so there's your significance already that you already have guys you don't need self-esteem classes okay teen vogue is not going to tell you how to make better of yourself has anybody seen the headlines on this teen vogue has just 
considered that prostitution is actually sex work and should be a respectable profession for young ladies who are looking to make their way in life? Anybody seen this? I've got a stack of this garbage on my desk. A stack of it. Saying this is a worthy profession and we should be more respectful in this because they're just trying to earn their way. Earn their way to what? Jail. Who said that? That's a fun person. I want to hang out and go to dinner with you. That's awesome. But seriously, what is that accomplishing? Notice, godless thinking. It's the best you can do. So professing to be wise, this is a good decision. I think this is the best thing. Notice, wisdom is found in me. Just ask me. I'll tell you what to do. They became what? Fools. Say it, guys. Fools. Don't be scared of this word. Fools. Notice that. It is past tense. When you have somebody professing their own wisdom, as a Bible-believing Christian, you can stop for a second and take verse 23 and in the quietness of your own heart say, I need to be aware this is a fool. It's not wrong to use that word. We had Shakespeare writing about fools. God calls God's people fools. Mr. T pities the fool. It doesn't matter. People have the ability to recognize fools. When my son is messing up, I looked at him and I say, stop acting a fool. Because that's what he's doing. He is abandoning everything that is right and normal and respectful and running around like a fool. Now, don't get me wrong. I let him run around like a fool. But there are some places where no fools should be permitted. I'll explain it later. But fools. Did you realize this is a common, common word in wisdom literature in the Bible? If you've got your pen, just write some of these down. Excuse me, I'm going to have Mitch go through them on the screen because I want to communicate this. Let's go to the first one, Mitch. Psalm 14, 1. The fool is said in his heart, there is no God. So thank you, Sam Harris, Richard Dawkins, Christopher Hitchens. Appreciate your participation in life. And here's the thing. Don't by any means think that atheists, professing atheists, are not brilliant people. They are highly intelligent. In fact, they're so intelligent, it's scary. But that's what makes it even that much more profound how elusive it is that the God who everybody knows is there, they refuse to bow and worship it. And probably what's the instance of that? Hardness of heart and pride. That's where it comes from. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. How about the next one? Proverbs 1.7. The fear of Yahweh is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. You ever had somebody come to you for help and then you try to help them and they don't want it? (laughs) Pastor Steve, do you know anything about what I'm talking about right now? (laughs) Little. (laughs) You know what that's called? Grace. (laughs) I really need your help with this problem. Okay? I'll never forget this. We're freshly married. Okay? Probably, well, we're probably a year and a half into marriage. I'm trying to go to sleep. It's probably 9.45 at night, something like that. And I get a phone call. I answer it. It's a friend of mine from Ohio. They're talking. He said, man, I'm, I think I found the girl in my dreams. I said, really? He's a believer. Yeah. And it's amazing. It's just, you know, fantastic. She just, you know, we, we, we're so much in tune with one another, and we just have the right vibes. And I'm like, okay, we're using weird language here. Where's this going? Man, it's just, you know, the sex is so amazing. Red flag! And I was just curious, what do you think I should do to better this relationship? I said, break up with her. <laughs> what? You don't understand. And here's, how, here's the argument. Teenagers, we're not fools. Here's the argument. But you don't know what kind of love we have. Yes, I do. It's carnal, lustful, and sinful. Stop it! God says No! God says you're in trouble. God says you are your God. That's the last time I ever talked to him. It was 15 years ago. He never wanted to talk to me again. Why? Because when he came asking for help, and you take him to God's word, and you say, this is what the creator of our human bodies has to say about a situation. 
Fools despise, despise wisdom and instruction. Unteachable. Fools are unteachable. How about the next one? Bless you. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. Why? Because he's his own God. It's really hard to go wrong when you're your own God, setting your own standards, making your own decisions. But a wise man is he who listens to counsel. Everybody see that there's a lot of association between fools, the idea that there needs to be counsel or instruction involved, and it's the choice of whether somebody wants to listen or not to that counsel. Yes, everybody see that? How about the next one? Proverbs 18, I think it is. 18.2, a fool does not delight in understanding, but only in revealing his own what? Da-da-da! There it is. Is that not Romans 1, 21 and 22, professing to be wise? It is. How about the next one? Proverbs 23, 9, do not speak in the hearing of a fool, for he will despise the wisdom of your words. Pastor, you don't understand. I really need your help. Here's my situation. Okay, well, Paul says in Colossians, here's the answer. Oh, well, I don't want that. You know the best thing for me to do in those situations? Stop talking. They don't want correction. They don't want help. See, this is one of the big problems why we have uh, an issue with rebuking other people in the church. Number one, we're all so darn sensitive nowadays, we can't handle it. But number two, we don't realize that things like rebuke and instruction from God's word and correction is for our betterment because our betterment is to be glorifying him and thanking him more for the mercy he has towards us. But you bring up a situation like this and they're not willing to take it, they don't want instruction. They want to be right. And they're not. And thank the Lord, we have a standard that declares that. How about the next one? Proverbs 28. He who trusts in his own what? Heart is a fool. The heart is desperately wicked. Everybody remember that? Jeremiah 17, 9. His own heart, he's a fool. But he who walks wisely will be delivered. That word means salvation. Saved, rescued. I mean, go to heaven when you die. It means out of situations, daily situations. How about the next one? Isaiah 32, 6, excuse me. For a fool speaks nonsense, and his heart inclines toward wickedness. What is this? Oh, no, well, you'll hear it click against my teeth in the microphone, and that sounds fun for everybody, so yeah, thank you. <laughs> and his heart inclines towards wickedness. To practice, to practice what? Ungodliness. Isn't that the problem we have with not worshiping or giving thanks in the beginning? We know he's there, we refuse to practice ungodliness and to speak error against Yahweh. To keep the hungry person unsatisfied, notice what it trickles over into. Depriving those who are needy and without drink for the thirsty, or from the thirsty. A fool, a godless fool, will actually run over other people to maintain their rightness. That's foolishness. So while they'll tell you all day long how wise they are, it is an authority problem and it is a submission problem because they refuse to acknowledge God as God. Everybody see this? Now here's the reason why you need to understand this because we're talking about the world. We're talking about everything we're involved in. Let's go ahead and go to the next thing here in Romans. So notice verse 23. Sorry, verse 22. Professing to be wise... They became fools, and here's what happened. And exchanged, exchanged, giving up one thing because you are substituting it for something else. Ladies, if you don't like your hair dryer, you lay it down and exchange it for something else. A better dryer, a more efficient dryer, hopefully a quicker dryer, yes? An exchange. So professing to be wise, to have it all together, and yet being a fool, they're going to make a trade here. And the trade is, number one, I'm going to give up the incorruptible God. Notice that his incorruptibility is an attribute. Sinless perfection. There is nothing dark about him. There is nothing tainted in him. He is perfect all the time. So I'm going to, and think about this, in my personal self-proclaimed wisdom i am going to give up perfection because i found something better 
Does that make sense? Not to a single person who has a thinking mind, but isn't that the problem? Watch this. So I'm going to give up the incorruptible God, and look what happens from this. For an image, now watch, don't miss how this is worded. For an image in the form of corruptible man. There's one of our attributes. We are corruptible, tainted, flawed, sinful, deserving of punishment and death, destined for hell with no hope apart from Jesus Christ. There's where we are. Let's not think more of ourselves than we should. It is only by his grace we are saved. Now notice, this isn't the actual thing. Don't you think it's interesting that when Moses was on the mountain for too long and the people got impatient, that they came to Aaron and they said, Aaron, make for us a God. Stop! And all God's people said, what? Make for us a God? What did this tell you about their thinking about God? He can be made. Are you sure? What in the world is that? Notice it dismisses his godhood, his divinity. Now, it would have at least been somewhat respectful to God if they would have said, Aaron, we need, we need a God to worship. And he said, okay, great. So he brings in a calf. That would have been one thing, wouldn't it? Here he is. This is your God who delivered you from Egypt. In fact, that's how he introduced this idol that he fashioned for them out of gold. But notice he didn't bring in a living being, did he? He brought in, don't miss the wording, look what the text says, an image in the form, a replica representation of the actual thing that is actually already less than perfection. Does that make sense? Here's the perfection of God. Take it. I don't want it anymore. Because instead, I'm not going to go after the real thing. I'm going to go to a replica artifact of something else that represents something that I obviously don't want to worship. And so therefore, this is going to be my new God. Does everybody see this is crazy? But you know what it also is? It's extremely convenient. See, people will go into the realm of crazy if it's convenient. People will trudge into the area of being looked at a little bit differently, or here's what we do, we surround ourselves with other like-minded people so that the sin doesn't seem so bad. Well, everybody's doing this, and what do we do? Well, if everybody jumped off the bridge, would you jump off the bridge too? And some of you would be like, yeah, and they would go. But notice, this is talking about that when your heart becomes callous, you know God's there, you don't worship him, you don't think him, your heart becomes already foolish but darkened, so you've got an increase, and your incapacitated person, and it gives way to idolatry. Idolatry, which is the subject of next week's sermon. Let's get a little taste of idolatry. You saw the first slide. Mitch, let's bring it up. Isn't this how we typically think of idolatry? And you know why this is so okay for us to look at? Because that's not us. Right? We don't have idols like that. No, we don't. But do we have idols? No, concerning. Probably the most famous thing that people would consider idol would be the Sphinx in Egypt. Mitch, let's bring that up. Now, notice what they've done. We talked about this a long time ago. Has the head of what? Has a head of a man, but what's the rest of it? It's a body of a lion. The best they could do, when, when, when people try to think of gods, the only thing they can do is already take created things and just try to elevate them in their respect level. See that? Or, let's take one from another, and one from another creation, and we'll just put them together. Those were called Wuzzles in the 80s. Anybody remember Wuzzles? The cartoon? Yeah! It was like, what's wrong with this guy? He's like, well, he's a tiger, but he's kind of got like butterfly stuff going on. I don't know. (laughs) What do we call that? It's a god. It is a man-made god. Taking two created things and putting it together. This is why the Bible struggles, Ezekiel chapter 1, with what what, what the Lord looks like. Read it sometimes. 
Ezekiel is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God himself, and he still can't grasp who God is in looking at him. It's insane. Now, let's get into some gods that we find more comfortable. What's the next one, Mitch? Ah, Kim Kardashian. You say, oh, she's not a god. Wait a second. She's got between 1.5 and 2 million viewers per episode. You think she's got a following? Isn't that what they call it? On Facebook? Who are you following? Who's following you? That's a little scary. Here's the other thing I thought was funny. She's done absolutely nothing to be deemed famous. Stop for a second. Think about it. What has she done? Nothing. Somebody gave her a show. That's called a travesty. That's how she became famous? How do you know this? You're really glad the video store closed, aren't you? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. She is going to make me pay for that tomorrow. That's how she got famous, though. Her mom is her manager, and she got famous from a sex video. Go, America. Are you let me let's be honest though. Let's think about it. Are you surprised? No. Now, if you're going to get offended by this next one, I'm sorry, but it's true. Go ahead, Mitch. About the Pope. And here's the problem. Number one, Catholicism is a work salvation belief system. It is not saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. You have to do something to maintain your salvation. That's how it's set up. Number two, there's no assurance because you never know if you've done enough in order to gain God's favor. So notice, all salvation is really found in you. Number three, what bothers me is, is there are actually times when the Pope can speak what is called ex cathedra. And that means that when he speaks, he is speaking infallibly. He is actually speaking the words of God. And here's what you find from some of those things. The teachings that have been spoken have actually contradicted the Bible. And so they recognize this problem, and when they weigh one against the other, they say, well, when the church and the Bible conflict, the church wins. That's a problem. So, total membership of the Catholic Church is 1.313 billion people as of 2017. You know what that's called? A missionary field. It is called a field that desperately needs the witness of sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice and salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Him alone. You don't need anybody else. How about the next one? This is a fun one. <laughs> you knew it was coming, didn't you? How dare we, as worshipers of the Almighty God, and seeing Him most clearly revealed and displayed in the Lord Jesus Christ, think that for some reason, some man or woman is going to rise through the ranks because we casted a vote for them or against them by voting for the lesser of two evils. Stop and think about that one for just a second. And somehow that's going to be what determines the uprising or the downfall of our civilization. That is godless thinking. It is godlessness. Give to Caesar what's Caesar's, but give to God what is God's. I'm so thankful that Jesus never ran for office, nor would he. I think that's important for us to consider, guys, because we can let this stuff get out of hand. If, you're, if, if, if you have dialed in your radio station when you drive to work to conservative talk radio and you've ripped the knob off so nobody can mess with it, there's a problem here. How about the next one? Ah, weed, marijuana, Mary Jane, ganja, pot, hashish. Does that seem weird? Well, nobody, here, here's, here's what, when you talk to people who love marijuana, here's what they tell you. I don't worship this. Okay. Why don't you quit? Well, pot's not addictive. <laughs> That, that's, that's not the question I asked you. Why don't you quit? But it's not addictive. Don't you understand? Marijuana is not addictive for anybody. In 2015, about 4 million people in the United States met the diagnostic criteria, which tells you it's a man-made mental system, for a marijuana use disorder. Doesn't that sound all nice and cushy and fluffy? 
You're not addicted to weed. You have a marijuana use disorder. That just feels better. Here's the sad thing, though. What does it say after that? 138,000 voluntarily sought treatment for their marijuana use. What is that percentage out of 4 million? Anybody know? Smart people? Two. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Next to nobody in that situation, is it not? Scary. Yeah, I know it's getting freaky outside. It's okay. People worship weed. You walk into their apartments, they got big, and you turn out the lights, and for some reason, it's weird, the fluorescent lights come on. And yeah, you've got stores all around that are trying to sell bongs, all that stuff, man. Don't Let's not play like it's not there. It has control over our country. States are having to, to have issues over whether or not it should be legal. And why is it going to be legalized? Because there's so much money to be made. Doesn't matter whether it's right or wrong, does it? Doesn't matter whether it incapacitates your what? Thinking. You ever had to have an intellectual conversation with somebody who's high? I've had lots of them with people. I always win. And it's not because I'm smart. It's just I'm dealing with a much lesser gauged impotent at that time. Because all their faculties have been smoked up. How about the next one? What are we teaching our kids when we miss the gathering of the saints for the gathering over athletics? Don't act like this isn't an idol. I've talked to people who say, oh, when summer rolls around, we're hardly home. Why is that? Well, we're always on the road. Such and such is on a traveling team. We're going all over the state. Do I have anything against baseball, softball, soccer, basketball, any of that stuff? No, I'm from Kentucky. You should know better. We have the greatest basketball team that's ever been formed on the face of the earth. But... I'm sorry, what did University of Wisconsin do last year? <laughs> Nothing. Thank you. What are they going to do this year? We're not even prophets. We know. Nothing. Kentucky's awesome. Don't even play. So, but here's the thing. There's nothing wrong with participating in these things. But when this becomes your identity and who defines you as a person and how you operate, that's a heart problem. That is a futility in thinking. That is a putting all kinds of money, time, energy into emptiness. Well, I don't like that you brought that up, preacher. Cool, that's called the conviction of the Holy Spirit. We should not be participating in those types of things if that is the issue. Not that they're wrong, but if we're sitting here having to weigh out, okay, my kids and myself receiving more time in the gathering with one another to worship the Lord and be under the teaching of God's Word, as opposed to this, I guarantee you that we're spending more time on that throughout the week than we are in the Bible. Priority problem, heart problem. Identify it for what it is, and it needs to be corrected. The solution to that is confess and repent. It's a problem. Do we have another one? <laughs> the gateway to total satisfaction. The computer. There's actually a guy in England five or six years ago that married his computer. Married it. That's where we've gone. This is why pornography is such a problem. Because we sit there and click it. I hate the movie Fireproof. I don't care for it. Cheesy Christian film, pfft, whatever. But when Kirk Cameron beats the snot out of his computer, yeah! That's what you want to see. Why? Because isn't that what Jesus said? If your right hand causes you to sin, cast it off, or cut it off and cast it from you. If you've got something in your life that is keeping you in sin, get rid of it. It is better for you to stand before the Lord approved than to walk into his presence maimed because you held on to junk. It's power heads. And I'm going to preach pray. Because we have graduation to get to. I'm over time. I stopped caring about 20 minutes ago, but it's okay. Let's pray. So let's say that life ends right now. Think about this. Let's say that today's the day. Let's say that we get out in our cars, we're driving off, and some crazy windstorm just takes us out. Don't anybody fear. But think about this. Life happens when you least expect it. And there's something in Scripture that is highly neglected called the judgment seat of Christ. It does not determine whether or not you go to heaven or hell. That decision is made here and now. And whether or not you have believed in Jesus or you've rejected him. <clears throat> but what the judgment seat of Christ does is where we are presented before the Lord, and imagine this if you can, 
And we give account for everything that we've done in the body while Christians, whether good or bad, before him. And my question is, is that if life ends today, what does our presentation look like? We're bringing the things that are most dear to us and laying them before the king. What will the look on his face tell us? I'm not asking you for a Sunday decision. I think that's important. But what I do want us all to realize in this room right now is that Satan is crafty. He is calculating. And he doesn't care about any of us. He wants to do everything he can. And he wants to arouse our flesh so that it will move in that direction of discrediting God, turning away from God, considering God something that's just kind of on the back burner of our lives or on the top shelf of our existence. And and he's, he's not something that is, he's not the person that he is in reality, always before us at all times, always with us, walking with us. When we become believers in Christ, we are told that Christ is our life in Colossians 3, 4. He is our life. And I'm just curious what life looks like for you right now. Only you know. Maybe you're here with your husband or wife, and maybe they don't fully know if you've been entertaining sin. But there comes a point when foolishness is enough. So Father, I pray that you would arrest our attention now on your holiness.